would like to thank the singers for singing for us again. And we trust that God will bless those messages and song to our hearts this evening. It's uh, great to know that our Savior left the realms of glory and came for us, for me, and uh, for you individually. And we do uh, our stand in amazement of that fact that uh, he was thinking of individuals that are here this evening as he came, and we rejoice in that. Now, I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles uh, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and we'll read a few verses here, and we'll turn to God's precious Word for the remainder of our meeting. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse uh, 26 of that chapter, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and beginning our reading at the 26th verse of the chapter. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord uh, God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing again to the reading of his precious word. Let's unite in a word of prayer please. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for the Word of God tonight, and we thank Thee that as we've been praising Thy name, that we've been thinking of that great gift that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we thank that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we pray that there may be those that will find that everlasting life. We thank Thee for those who have already found in Thee a resting place, and Thou hast made us glad. And our God, we long that others might experience that blessed hope of the Savior. Be with us tonight, and uh, shut us in with Thyself, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Now, I'm going to take the words of the angel uh, to Mary there in verse uh, 32, where it's, it's, it says of, uh, he will bring forth a son, call, call his name Jesus. And then it says, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. In today's passage, we have the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, Mary, and he comes with these words about the child that will be born to her, that he shall be great. 
Now that's speaking of his humanity. He is great as God. He is ultimately great. But in his humanity, he was going to be great. Now Time magazine has since 1927 selected the person of the year every year. They try to select a, an individual who has done the most to influence the events of the year. But in 2013, they ran a list of the 100 most significant figures in history. Now, this wasn't the person of the year, but really the person of all time. And in order to select the person who would be the greatest of all time, they did it in a very scientific way. They didn't do it the way that a historian would do it. A historian would judge uh, what a person has done, and there would be a lot of judgment in it. But they tried to get a scientific or method of doing it, and so they came up with a computational data-centric analysis of the different figures of history. And when they had done this uh, computational data-centric study, they found that the most significant figure in history was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was ranked one above everyone else. And of course, that's a fulfillment of what the angel had said to Mary here. Now, it doesn't take a, a list in a magazine, Time magazine or any other magazine, uh, to prove what uh, the Word of God says. It, it may have been another magazine in a, a Buddhist country or a Hindu country, and maybe they might have come up with somebody else. So it, do, it doesn't take the uh, say-so of a magazine, but it's interesting that after their scientific analysis, they still came up with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord had something to say about who was the greatest. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, he said, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. And that's quite a statement. No matter how great you think you are, John the Baptist is greater. And that is what the Lord Jesus said. But we think of how John was come with a special mission. He was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was to prepare the way. He was given the task to turn the people's hearts back to God and make ready a way prepared for the Lord. And he was good at his task, and he did it well. But even when he had done that task, when the Lord Jesus came on that day to be baptized in the Jordan, John pointed to Christ and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And this greatest of all men said of the Lord Jesus Christ, He must increase, but I must decrease. So if the greatest of all men says that the Lord Jesus Christ is to increase and that he is to decrease, who is the greatest of all? Then the uh, answer to that is obvious. He shall be great. Some of the commentators say the word great should mean extraordinary. He shall be extraordinary, or he should be distinguished, or powerful, or eminent. There are many kings and queens 
who have stood out and have had the title great down through the ages. But here is the greatest of all because he came to be a saviour. And we uh, want him to be great, not only in the sense of what he has done in being our saviour, but we want him to be great in your life as well as your saviour and your Lord. So just for a few minutes at the end of our meeting, I want us just to think about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that his greatness was despite an unlikely start. I want you to see here, think of his birth that's announced here by the angel to a teenage girl who was a virgin. She was to conceive of the Holy Ghost and bear this child while still a virgin. And it was not in Rome or in Jerusalem, but it was in Bethlehem, a little place. We think of the place where there was no room for them in the inn. And we think of how he was born into poverty and born into extreme circumstances. And there was nothing that seemed to be great about this one that was born. There was nothing about his circumstances that seemed to mark out what this uh, child was going to be. But we thank God tonight that he was born of a virgin. We think of how Mary was told that, that she was going to bring forth a son and that his name would be called Jesus. And it says uh, that he was, uh, the, the Holy Ghost is come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee and the holy thing which is born in thee shall be called the Son of God. He was great, even though he was born in obscurity. Someone wrote the words, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, the executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone today. Gone today. He is the central figure of all history. And he was not born into a palace. He was not born into the place of prominence or authority. He had no royalty. He had no power. And yet, still, he is great today. We still think and worship and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was great despite the unlikely start. But then he is great despite the unique setting. You think of the wonderful things that did take place at his birth, that demonstrate that this was no ordinary birth. 
We think of the fanfare announcement. We think of how in a royal birth, usually there is a, an announcement made, a notice is put on the uh, gates of Buckingham Palace. You think of how when there's a celebrity, they will often announce that the celebrity is coming. And here is the uh, one who was born to be king. And we think back of how Gabriel comes and he makes this announcement. Now, six months before, he had made an announcement to Zacharias that the one who would be born uh, to him, John the Baptist, he was going to make a way for the Messiah. 500 years before, Gabriel again had appeared and he had announced that there was coming one who was to be the Messiah. Now it comes down 500 years apart to six months apart, and you can see that God was signaling that something was going to happen. This Messiah that was long promised, the one who was to come from heaven, was about to come. And Gabriel comes with the news from heaven that the one who is the Messiah is about to come. And you think of what Gabriel says to Mary here, Heal, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And look at Mary's response. It says, And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this would be. She was fearful. She was fearful of the spiritual breaking in. She was like any other sinner. She was one who realized what she was as heaven broke in upon her. But the angel says, fear not, fear not. And the angel repeats that she is favored. What is her favor? What is the favor that is given to her? That of her was going to be born the one who was the Messiah, the one who is to come to be our Redeemer, the one who came and his mission, as he said himself, was to seek and to save that which was lost, that men and women might be saved from death and hell and from uh, the grave. And we thank God today for the one who came to die on the cross and shed his blood and die in our room instead that we might be saved. Oh, we think of the fanfare announcement. And then also we think of the fantastic accompaniment. We think of the angels who come. We uh, read about the shepherds. William read about that earlier on in Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And once again, they are sore afraid. The supernatural breaks in upon them, and they're afraid. And we see that the angels say again, fear not. And then it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now often on our Christmas cards and on our uh, stories actually, you know, um, illustrations, the uh, host of the angel, they are come in choir robes and they are singing. But I want you to think about that word host. 
Today, when we think about a host of something, we're thinking about many. But the word there in the Greek is a word that means an army. It means an army. It's a military term. This is not a sweet band of singers robed in choir robes. This is an army. And they're come to see their commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're not come this time. They will come again on another time, and they will come on their military purpose. But here they are come, this army, and they are proclaiming an armistice. They are proclaiming an amnesty. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Here's the opportunity for men and women to get right with God. Here is the time given for men and women to get right with God. The armies of heaven itself are proclaiming an amnesty, the time when men and women can come and seek the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there's still time tonight. We're still in the day of grace. There's still the time when you can get right with God. Not only is there the fanfare announcement and the fantastic accompaniment, but there is fulfilled anticipation. Because at that time, the uh, Jews had read the prophecies. They were expecting that the Messiah would come. There was that sense of anticipation growing, going through the land that the prophecies were going to be fulfilled. For God's word is always fulfilled. And we think of the many times, particularly in Matthew's gospel, where we have words like it, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all of the prophecies. Now, we think of how he would be called the Nazarene, but how Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be least in the uh, kingdom of Judah, out of thee shall come forth uh, 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 the Messiah, and all of the, they seem to be contradictory. How, how, could, how could he be called the Nazarene and yet come out of Bethlehem? The two different places, two different, pla two, two different uh, uh, districts, completely separate. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of those prophecies. Why? God was showing us that this is the one. This is the one who was to fulfill his word. The blessed Son of God come down to be our Redeemer and our Savior. But there's something else that indicates his greatness. Not only uh, the unlikely start and the unique setting of his birth, but look at the unparalleled standing of the Savior. It says he shall be called the Son of the Highest. Now, there's we learn about the greatness of the Lord. If you look at verses 32 and 33, it says, He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. He says he'll be great. And you'll notice the difference. If you look there, you'll see, if you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15, it says um, of John the Baptist, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. But it says about the Lord Jesus, simply, he shall be great. Now, do you see the difference? John the Baptist, he is great in the sight of the Lord. There is a qualification 
to his greatness. But when it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, it just says, he shall be great. No qualification. No, no in any way, uh, measuring of the greatness of the Savior or, or qualification of what it was. He's naturally great. He is great in himself. And then it says he'll be the son of the highest. Now, the highest there can be translated the most high, or it is El Elyon, uh, God Most High. So this is the title of God. The Hebrew equivalent is El Elyon, and he is the uh, God Most High. Oh, when we identify the Lord Jesus as the highest, the Son of the highest, when he said that he is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person. The Lord said to his disciples, he who hath seen me hath seen the Father. He said again to his opponents, I and my Father are one. And when Gabriel announces this, he makes it absolutely clear that he is the Son of the Highest. And we think of the perfection of his nature. He's light of light, very God of very God. He is also perfectly human. He is perfectly human, and he is God most high. He is the only begotten. He is the only mediator between God and men. He is the only one qualified to be a mediator. No man can be a mediator. No man can stand today as our priest, because he's the only priest. He's the only one. He has to be God and man to stand between God and man. And the only one who is able to do that today is the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friend, we go to him as our priest. Don't be looking to me. Don't be looking to ministers. Don't be looking to parsons. Don't be looking to churches. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. He's the only one who is God and man in two distinct natures, yet one person forever. Oh, dear friend, he is the one who is able to save. We think of the perfection of his nature. We think of the grandeur of his offices. My, he is prophet, priest, and king. You think of those three great offices. He is the prophet, the one who came to bring us his word. And we think of the many wonderful things that our Savior said. We think of the prophecies there in Matthew chapter 24. We think of him as the king. He is here said to be the one who would rule over his kingdom. And of his kingdom there would be no end. And then he is the priest. He is the one who intercedes for us. And he's the one who makes the sacrifice for us. The only sacrifice that avails. No other sacrifice can avail. But that sacrifice made there on the center cross of Calvary. And yet today there are so many that do not recognize our Savior. There was a, an experiment done a, a few years ago there by the New York Times newspaper and they sent a young man by the name of Joshua Bale out of the, into the metro system. And he had a, a violin, and he went down there to do some busking. 
uh, at the Washington Nationals. Uh, well, he was wearing a, a Washington Nationals baseball cap and a long sleeve T-shirt, and he carried this uh, violin. And he began to play, and people just passed by. And the end of the day, he had forty-five dollars that he made from busking. If people had a look closer, they would have seen that the violin that he was using was a very expensive Stradivarius violin. And if they had looked closer below the baseball cap, they might have recognized Joshua Bale because the week before he had uh, uh, been involved in a concert in, uh, the, uh, in New York or in Washington or in Boston, the Boston Symphony Hall, and he had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall, and the cheapest seats that were sold at that were $100 a time. All he got there in the metro was $45. You see, people didn't recognize him. And today there are many people who don't recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't see his greatness they don't see what he came to do. They don't realize that he is a savior, that he's able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. He is great because of his unparalleled standing. But then also, he is great because of his unaltered strategy. You'll see, if you look there in the text, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord shall God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. There's a plan there. We can see that he's going to reign. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus is coming back again, and he's coming to reign. He's coming to reign. He will uh, fulfill this prophecy to the last. He will sit upon the throne of David. He will rule and he will reign. And the peace that is spoken about here will be fulfilled in this world. And we think, some people think the Bible is an accumulation of different stories that don't uh, no overall plan. But God has a plan. God is working out his plans and purposes, even in the midst of the turmoil of this world. And this world is a place of sin. And it's upside down because we live in the midst of sinners. But God is working out everything according to the good pleasure of his will. And we're told that there comes a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there are many people will realize that they were wrong to reject our Savior, that they were wrong to turn their backs upon the Prince of Peace and the Son of the Highest. And dear friend today, don't reject him. Oh, there are many people who think they're great, but he is the greatest. In 1750, Louis XIV of France died. He proclaimed himself to be great. He thought he was great. He said, I am the state. And when he was dead, they brought him into the cathedral. And the uh, uh, cardinal, the bishop, Massillon, who was burying him, uh, he began to speak, and slowly there was a candle on the, uh, on the uh, coffin of the king, 
and he snuffed out the candle and he said, only God is great. Dear friend, at the end of the day, we all have to recognize, no matter how great you think you are, only God is great. But one more thing, and we'll end here tonight because our time is gone. He's great because he's the unmatched Savior. He, in Isaiah 53 and 12, it says, He was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sins of many. And then it says in Isaiah 53 that the Lord Jesus, he will be given a portion with the great. It says, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Why ultimately is he great? Because he has borne the sin of many. He has borne our sin and our sorrow. You know, you think way back to the time when Solomon opened his temple. And we're told that on the occasion, Solomon wanted to make a lavish sacrifice to mark his devotion to God and to mark the historic occasion of the temple being opened. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 62 to 63, And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered unto the Lord, two and twenty thousand oxen, and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Now we are impressed by that great sacrifice. But you think about that, battalions and battalions of oxen, thousands and thousands of sheep. The, the roads must have been thronged with cattle. And my we, uh, in our imagination, think of how literally there must have been rivers of blood. And you think of all of that, and really there is a gory aspect to that. My, the priests, if they hadn't thought about the picture there and the overall ceremony, would have been overwhelmed by the ghastliness of all of that. Thousands of thousands of oxen and sheep and lambs and all of the rest of it. And we think of all that took place. It must have been a gory sight. And yet that's only a picture. It's only a representation. It's only a, a, a sort of a faded picture of Calvary. And when you think of the gore and the ghastliness of that. And we realize that that's just a pale picture of Calvary. We think of what the Lord Jesus Christ must have went through. And the logical deduction is that the cross in the divine mind must be immense. And you know, we think of that sacrifice, and it was unavailing in two ways. It was unavailing because it never reached the final end. They, st they had to continue making the sacrifice. They had to continue making, shedding the blood. But the Bible says that this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had made one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. 
The sacrifice is over. No more sacrificing priest. Because the sacrifice is over. Christ has made the final sacrifice there on the cross. And at Calvary, the sacrifice reached a final end. It was unavailing because, or it was uh, unavailing because it never reached a final end. And then it was unavailing because it never dealt with a conscience. It never ruled away the burden of sin, finally. But we read in Hebrews 9 and 9, both the gifts and sacrifices that could make him, uh, that did the service perfect as obtaining to uh, conscience. And positively and definitely, the sacrifice there at Calvary was an availing sacrifice. And we rejoice, those of us that are saved tonight, we rejoice in what our Savior has done. We're depending upon him because he's great. He's able to keep that which he's, is committed unto him against that day. He's able to give eternal salvation because he's God. He is God. He has made the one complete sacrifice. He has availed for our sins and for our iniquities. And dear friend, if you by faith will put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will come and lay hold upon the sacrifice of Calvary, you can be eternally saved. He's great. He's the great Savior, the only Savior, the only one who can cleanse your sins away. Will you come to him? Will you trust him? Whom to know is life eternal. Let's just bow in a wee word of prayer. We will sing that last hymn, but let's just bow in a word of prayer. And if God has spoken to you tonight, he is the great Savior. He is the greatest of all time. And we rejoice in the one who is able to save to the uttermost. Come to him. Trust in him as your Savior tonight. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for the fulfillment of the fact that the Savior was to be great. And our God, we thank thee for the one who is the great Savior. And we pray that thou wouldst bless thy word and write it upon hearts and draw sinners to thyself. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, our time is away, but we will... Um, it's a carol service, so we'll sing that last hymn there on the, sh on the board. As, uh, 83, as with gladness, men of old did the guiding star behold, as with joy they hailed us light, leaning onward, beaming bright, so most gracious Lord may we evermore be led to thee. God's word is, as, is like the star. It leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ, and may you be led to him tonight. I will not sing all of the, we'll sing the first three verses of 83 and we'll stand as we sing.
indeed we may bring our costliest treasures to thee, and, O God, may we rest in thee, and may our salvation be found in thee. Take for thanks for the good things that have been provided for us tonight. Bless in the fellowship together. Bless thy word, and we pray it continue to ring in the hearts of each one gathered under the sound of thy word, whether here or over the internet. And we pray for a real sense of the Lord's presence and thy blessing. Now part us in thy fear and with thy blessing when we go. Take us to homes and safety. Watch over us and be with us. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen.